Welcome to the podcast for Westside at Jesus Church. We are a family of missionary disciples in West Portland who believe the church is not a religious subculture, but the making of a new humanity. It's not a building or a weekend activity, but a community of multi-ethnic, multi-generational men and women living out the light, love, and hope of Jesus to the world around us. We hope this episode encourages and empowers you to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus as we pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Welcome everyone. Welcome. We're so glad to be worshiping with you. We are a Jesus church. We believe that it is his way that we follow. His, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And this is, this is what we want to do with our lives, give ourselves away to him. My name is Tim McDonald. And I'm... I'm <laughs> wow, good job. Thanks. And I'm Brittany McDonald. So along with this... Yeah. Along with this guy, we are honored to be a part of the pastoral team here at a Jesus Church. We're thankful that you're here this morning, um, and we are so excited because the next couple of weeks, God is going to speak to us. So we can't wait to see how Jesus speaks. Yeah, we're going to be starting our vision series over the course of the next several weeks, yeah. really kind of diving into who it is that God has called us to be as a church uh, and what it is that he wants us to do about it. And so we're excited about you guys joining us in that. And this morning we will be opening the scripture. So if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise a hand up in the air. One of our ushers will get you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can keep this one. Yeah. The text that we're going to be looking into this morning is from Paul. It's a letter to the Ephesians. And so we're going to be in chapter 2, uh, verse 13, and then 17 through 22. So I'll give you a minute to, to flip there, whoever uses a Bible like me. Uh, and that, or unless you're on your phone, but um, yeah. Can you all stand as well too, as we read the word of the Lord? So Ephesians two thirteen, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Then verse 17, He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are n- no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and raises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We're gonna pray. Jesus, we just come before you. Lord, and we're thankful that you are the leader of all this world. We thank you. You have invited us into your home. You invite us to be your kids. Father, and as we lean into what it looks like to be loved by you, a good father, Lord, today, would you meet everybody where they are today? Lord, we don't know everybody's story. We don't know where everybody has come from today. But Jesus, you know the depths of our soul. You know the words that need to be spoken over us. You know the things we need to hear identity-wise just from you. Lord, we ask that you block the enemy's voice. And right now, that you would be present and you would lean in to each one of us. You'd call us by name. So Jesus, we are grateful that you are the king of kings and you are on your throne and we are not alone. So Jesus, right now, would we grab that and hold on to it 
and trust you with what you want to say this morning. So we love you, Jesus, um, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Friends, you can have a seat. We are going to uh, be watching a, a video right now. Uh, and I just wanted to prepare you guys a little bit for it. It's a friend of ours uh, who has walked through some, some deep, deep trauma. And for any of you that are in here, uh, some of the video can be a little bit raw and, and there's, there is some sensitive subjects in it. But I wanted to give you guys just a little bit of a heads up as we step into our friend Carly's story. I grew up in Bellingham, and I have a twin brother, and I was raised by my mom, who's a single mom, and my dad wasn't really in the picture. Um, from as early as I can remember, I loved sports, and I was in every sport I could get my hands on. Around first grade, I started playing sports, and um, at the same time, began being sexually abused by my mom's boyfriend and um, that lasted for two years while they were together. And after they broke up, uh, we moved out and kind of lived place to place, wherever, whoever she was dating with, we would live with. And a few years later, she started dating a guy that she ended up getting married to. And um, we moved in with my new stepdad in Linden, about an hour away. And while I was safe in those years from sexual abuse, um, I, my new stepdad had a, an anger and a rage that um, put a lot of chaos into the, the home. And I think in those years, I learned that the safest place for me was to be hidden and to hide and to be unseen. And I just learned to find an escape through sports, especially in those years. Just before eighth grade, my mom and my stepdad um, broke up and we moved back to Bellingham. And while the physical abuse and rage from my stepdad ended, um, when we moved back to Bellingham, um, sexual abuse from my mom's boyfriend from my childhood started again and it became my new normal to come home from school and see him and his truck waiting in my driveway. And though I was no longer a little girl, I knew what that meant. He would pick me up, take me to his house and take advantage of me once again. I started to avoid the situation at all costs. I would stay at friends' houses or in my car. It was the safest place that I had for a long time. And it was during those years in high school that I started experiencing long-term effects of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and I began having nightmares from memories of childhood trauma and they would take hold of my sleep through my adult years. The summer before my senior year, I had the opportunity to go to Africa. And while it was an incredible experience, the weight set in that I'd have to go home 
and I felt like the only way out of my situation um, was to end my life. And even though God rescued me from that, looking back, and even though that wasn't the end of my story, things continued to be really, really difficult through college. Um, I continued to suffer with insomnia and nightmares. I had crippling depression and anxiety, and it just really got to a point that I couldn't hold on anymore. My mind and my body were shutting down, and I made a tough decision to take some time off of basketball and just focus on saving my life. I did a lot of counseling and EMDR, a sort of trauma therapy, and I got a service dog. Her name was Lucy. And I focused all of my energies for a year on just learning how to be healthy and on gaining some sort of stability for the first time in my life. And things slowly got better. After college, I got married and had my beautiful daughter, Nora. But shortly before her first birthday, I found myself raising her alone. Eventually, somehow, we ended up in Portland, where we've been ever since. And I've been working for a local nonprofit here. And last summer, in what was the safety of my own home, I was taken advantage of once again. Carly's story is both painful and horrific. And over the course of this last year, as we've gotten to know her, uh, I've been overwhelmed on many, many occasions by how incredibly courageous and strong she is in the midst of traumatic adversity. The tragedy is, is that Carly's story isn't an isolated story. It's not the only one of her kind. In fact, even in this room right now, I just acknowledge and recognize the fact that you may be sitting in silence, isolated, feeling alone. I want to let you know right now that you're not, that there is a safe place, and there are men and women here at our church that would love to talk to you, love to connect with you, to hear your story, because there's more to Carly's story, and we're going to hear about it uh, closer to the end of my teaching, and it's beautiful. God does that. God's in the midst of the beauty and in the midst of the pain. One of the uh, parts of working at a church as a pastor is, is that we get exposed, we get front row seats to some of the most difficult parts of our community. Uh, we have been entrusted with some of those most sorrowful, most horrific events in people's lives. Even just these last several weeks had the opportunity to pray with multiple people who are literally beginning their journey with cancer. Over the course of the last couple of weeks, had an opportunity to pray with families that are trying to hold themselves together, marriages that are coming apart, kids that are walking away. There is so much pain that we have been entrusted with. We are called to weep with those who weep, to protect when we can, and to comfort when we can't, to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And our church is simply one small segment of a larger population in our city and in, in our state. 
And we know this, I mean, even beyond just the events of this last several years, which have been crazy, and there's been so much that's happened, we have come out on the other side with an increase in violent crime, with an increase in drug and alcohol abuse. I just read a statistic the other day, 9% of teens and adults in our city are addicted to some form of drug. It's like one in 10. That's crazy. And, and that, that alcohol abuse is just rampant right now in our culture. Loneliness, depression, suicide, some of the highest in the nation. The numbers paint the same picture. Our society is in agony. And my friends, this is where vision must start. This is where vision begins. You see, it's not enough to simply talk about the hopes and dreams of our community. It's not enough to whiteboard out some beautiful string of words that maybe rhyme with each other or all start with the same letter. I've done both of those. No, it's not enough to design like the perfect logo and create the right aesthetic, you know, that, that brings design and creativity and all of that together. It's not enough to talk about the nature of the perfect church because as we all know, that won't exist until Jesus comes back in his fullness. No, it's not enough. None of that is enough if it doesn't make a difference in our city, if it doesn't make a difference in our home, in our, in our schools, in our own lives. It all is just beautifully crafted noise if it doesn't change things. We have to do better. We have to do better. The scriptures call us to do better. And that's where we're joining up with this passage. Paul, he's talking to the Ephesians in this beautiful like, letter that he's laying out, drawing in all these incredible threads. And in verse 13, he, he writes to the non-Jewish Ephesians and he says this, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You used to be away. You used to be distanced from God. And now because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, you have been brought near. Old divisions, says Paul, of Jews and Gentiles, they've been superseded by a new identity, a new community, an ecclesia, a place where we all come together, brought near by the blood of Jesus. And this means that we all have access to God. It doesn't matter your pedigree. It doesn't matter what you've done with your life. Jesus's blood has made a way. You know, in the temple in Jerusalem, there was literally at one point a wall that separated the Gentiles from the Jews and written on the wall was this marker that basically said, hey, if you're a Gentile and you cross by this wall, you're taking your own life into your own hands. Unwelcome. Paul says that wall, it's been torn down. Now we all can come to God. We can all be brought near. The access has been made by the, the Lamb of God, according to John, that takes away the sin of the world. Paul then goes on after verse 13 to say this crazy thing that, that, that basically Jesus' death kills the hostility. What a crazy, like, cramming together of two words. Jesus' death killed the hostility between God and man. That barrier that existed 
Jesus put it to death. He went to war against it. And in verse 17, he says this. He came and he preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Jesus dealt with that wall, but then more than that, he preached a message of peace to reconcile us to God. He went out and he shared the good news of the gospel, this new relationship that had been crafted by him that we were all welcomed into. It's crazy because not only does it reconcile us to God, but by its nature, it reconciles us to each other. You know, when we do marriage counseling, we sometimes like use this like holy triangle where we talk about God at the top and a husband and a wife. And as we draw closer to God, we draw closer to each other. It's the same image for us as a church, for us as a people. As we draw closer to God, we draw closer to each other. A vision of peace because Jesus is, after all, the Prince of Peace, drawing all people to himself to his father, through his spirit. And I want to notice, I want you to notice that, that word one that's right beside spirit. This is one spirit. And Paul's going to go on in chapter four to kind of talk about what this all means. But, but here's the thing I want us to catch this morning. This one spirit, it's not like it's been portioned out here, there, here, there, here, there. No, it's, it's one being, one God in all of us that unites us together he unites us together with something far more powerful than like our goodness and good intentions, far more powerful than our own desires. No, it's built on God himself. He unites us. His cohesion brings us cohesion as a people. Verse 19 goes on to say, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Paul explains the implications of this one spirit that dwells in us that we have through Jesus. And then he starts mixing metaphors heavily, three specific ones that he kind of pulls together into one idea. First, he says that God's work has made us a people. He's made us a people like citizens of a newly formed country, a newly formed nation. We have our own values, the things that we care about, the things that set us apart. You, you may carry an American passport or a Canadian passport. It doesn't matter. Paul says, actually, our highest allegiance is to King Jesus. It's to our king. First and foremost, we seek his kingdom. And then second, Paul says that we are part of his household brothers and sisters together in the family of God with one father and his firstborn son, only begotten son, like almost like our big brother, sealed together 
by the Holy Spirit. We might be linked through biology to others here, even in this room, but our new family, in the words of Jesus, are those who follow his way and obey. And then third, Paul says, we are his temple. Together, we've become a place as a community where humanity can interact with God and God can interact with humanity. Paul, he points at the, the prophetic testament from the, old, from the Old Testament scriptures and the New Testament witnesses of the apostles and says, these things combined with the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone of Christ, create a foundation that's immovable, unshakable, It's stronger than any foundation. And on that, he's building this brand new temple, Jesus's temple. And in in us as a community, his Holy Spirit dwells so that people can meet with God, so that people can meet with their Savior. Now, to be clear, For those of us that call upon the name of Jesus, Paul is not saying that we need to go out, sell our house, sell, you know, quit our job, get a tent and create like a a new like temple space out here. No, that's not what this is about. Honestly, he's, he's calling us to step into the everyday parts of our life. Remember, the kingdom of God is in our midst, says Jesus. It's all around us. We're living in it right now. And some of you may need to quit a job and some of you may be called to move, but the reality is, is that Jesus is doing his biggest work in and through us as a family, which is a part of the reason why family is like right in the middle of all of those metaphors. Paul wants us to to key in on the fact that as we get pulled together, it's in the mundane, it's in the normal of our life that God moves. I mean, God has always been in the family business. That is the business of making families. Flip, flip forward all the way to Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, we get introduced to the family of Adam and Eve, right? I mean, we know the story. God, out of his creativity and his love and his strength and power, he creates everything that we see in perfect beauty. And it's, it's amazing. And into the midst of that, Chapter one, verse 26 says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all of the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God creates all of this beauty and then makes this bold move. He entrusts it to his kids. He creates Adam and Eve. He he pulls us up from the dirt, making us partially of things from the earth. And then he infuses his very life breath into us, making us partially of his character and will, pulling together the earthly and the divine, making us his kids, his family. And then he says, go, have kids, multiply, do something with all of this raw material. Go and make something amazing. 
I got the privilege yesterday to be at my nephew's wedding. And you know, there's just something about watching a bride being released from her parents and a husband, a groom being released by his parents to form a new family. There's, there seems like there's so much possibility, so much opportunity that lies in front of that young couple as you watch them say yes to each other and commit to a lifetime of saying yes to each other and to God. There's something powerful about it. And you imagine that moment in the garden with God, the same Adam and Eve and this opportunity that was in front of them, the potential to do some amazing, incredible things. But the family doesn't work out exactly how we hoped. Good thing God doesn't give up. If we flip forward to Genesis 12, God has another plan. In fact, he chooses another family up out of the earth to be his representatives. In Genesis 12, we meet the family of Abram. Abram, who would later have his name changed to Abraham, and Sarai, who would, who would later be Sarah. Verse one, chapter 12 says this, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whomever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. From all of the families on the face of the planet, God chooses out this one to take his story Forward. And that step of faith, that going to a place that Abram did, that, that amazing movement towards the unknown was the faith that God would use to build a new people, the family of Israel. But notice, notice the call is to be a blessing. You know, Paul would later tell us in the New Testament that that calling to be a blessing, it was never revoked. For those of us that follow God, we still have that calling to go be a blessing to all nations. But the story's complicated, right? I mean, people end, end up in Egypt and God has to do a rescue plan, an exodus plan to pull them up out of Egypt and then rebuild them back into a people again and calling them to be a blessing again. And they fight forward and there's a lot more failures than there are successes along the way but we begin to hear glimmers of a, of a new story in the prophets. A new, a new idea is beginning to form on the, on the lips of the prophets given by the Holy Spirit. God is going to pour out his very spirit into the hearts of people. He's going to rewrite the insides, help them to love as he loves, help them to think like he thinks. He's gonna form a people of his very own, writing new expectations and giving them the strength to be the family that he's calling them to be. And then we meet Jesus. And Jesus comes on the scene and the first thing he does is he begins to build a community, a family. In fact, Jesus has this moment of clarification on this really busy ministry day. All this stuff is going on and his family comes to see him. And Jesus says this in Luke 8, verse 20. Someone told him, your, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. And Jesus said, 
My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Jesus continues the work his father set in motion through his his disciples, bringing together this ragtag group of men, 12 that would later become 11, and this larger group of men and women who would be called his disciples, and he weaves them into a new type of family. Now, God's call to Adam and Eve and to Abram and Sarai, it would be fulfilled in the person of Jesus. But here's the thing. When Jesus dies, when he lays his life down and breathes his very spirit into his church, he forms a people with all of his heart, with all of his instincts, think, thinking like he thinks, loving like he loves. He forms a family. And after our study of Acts from this last year, we know that that family will go, go on to be from every tongue, every tribe, every nation around the world. There are going to be young people and there's going to be old people and there's going to be men and there's going to be women. This diverse community pulled together from all over the world that will follow and submit their hearts and their lives to one king. And his name is Jesus. He's going to build a family, pull them around a table, a grand table. His King Jesus family. And this is, this is the calling of the church, to be a family that is centered on Jesus, looking to him for life and purpose and direction and submitted to Jesus. Lord, this is all about you. We lift you up first. But there is one difficulty in all of this. The problem is that the word family has been drugged through the mud. And it's come to mean so many things, some of them painful and some of them unhelpful. So it's important when we talk about family that we go beyond platitudes, beyond ideals, beyond broken covenants, beyond anger and beyond abuse. Again, we have to do better. One Sunday morning, last September, almost to the day, I walked into Westside and went to the 9 a.m. gathering. I didn't know it then, but I would be sitting just a few seats away from a woman that changed everything. I tried to leave the service early to avoid the crowd. And she followed me to give me a word from the Holy Spirit. She said, I don't know your name or what your story is, but I feel like I'm supposed to tell you that the Lord sees you. You are seen in that moment. I never wanted to be more unseen. But that word began a relationship between Brittany and I, and I began to open up to her about my story, my situation, and she walked with me through the most difficult season of my entire life. New trauma and old trauma resurfaced, 
and I was drowning in feelings of guilt and shame. It would have been so easy to have just said, that's hard, I'll pray for you, but she stepped into my life at the most difficult of moments and reminded me every day that she wasn't going to go anywhere. She wasn't going to leave. I'm alive and here today because she chose to step into my story rather than out. Brittany invited me into her community group and overnight I had a whole slew of people. I didn't know it yet, but they would support me and encourage me and become my family. Stepping into community was really hard. I think shame tries to convince you that you're not worthy of love. And that feeling is just heightened in isolation. But community tells a different story. When the worst parts of me are loved and accepted by you, there's no room for shame. I was constantly being reminded by my community of the truths that set me free, that I am forgiven and that I don't have to carry the weight of my sin anymore, that I am free and beloved. I am chosen, that I am seen. These people became my family, a true family, one that I've never really experienced in real life with my own. They showed up excitedly to help me move into a new home for a fresh start. They love Nora like their own. They cheered like it was Super Bowl Sunday, the day I got baptized. <laughs> I've done years of painful therapy, counseling, and nothing has brought more healing to my life than the overwhelming concept of grace. God has healed me, called me, and readied me to step out to share the good news that has transformed and redeemed my life. And I have hope today because of Jesus. Carly's story is amazing and it has been a complete honor to watch it. In fact, there's so much more happening right now in her story as God even redeems things up out of her story. She's stepping into an incredible ministry uh, called Fellowship of Christian Athletes to use both those gifts uh, in sports and athletics, but also her story to help people find freedom in life. Like, it's an incredible thing. God uses that broken pain and he restores and he brings life through it. It's an incredible story of love, redemption, perseverance, faithfulness of God and community. It's a story of family. You see, 
Family is more than just an idea or a value or a social construct. It's more than biology and relationships. It's more than just a warm feeling. Though all of those things can be a part of it. The thing is, is when it's empowered by the spirit of God and centered on the person of Jesus' family, God's family becomes an unstoppable kingdom force. Remember, we've all been brought near. That's what Paul said, right? We've we've been brought near through Jesus. We have been unified into one family, one body by the one spirit. We've been made into this living temple. And you know the great part about a living temple is that it's mobile. It moves, it goes places, into the hardest places, out to the fringes. It touches the lives of people who need to be seen, who need to be restored. It creates safe places in unsafe places. That's what a living temple can do. Counseling and care by those equipped to do so is so important. And the world needs more nonprofits committed to digging wells and rescuing and educating the marginalized. They're super important. But God's empowering presence dwelling in the midst of his family is his response to the agony and pain of our society. We exist to push back. Let me say that again. We exist, church, to push back. It's not supposed to just float out there the pain and the hurt in this world around us. It's not just supposed to hover out on the horizon, us hoping that it'll go away if we keep our eyes closed just long enough. No, we're supposed to step in. The church has been crafted, created as a family with the unique skill sets of changing things. Not all pain, not all healing comes in a moment. Some healing takes time. And that's what family is so good at doing. My friends, this is the vision of our church. We are called to be a King Jesus family, fixated and focused on our Lord, making this all about him while lifting up his name, we see a church that is centered on King Jesus, centered on him, his way, his heart. We see a church submitted to him anytime, any place, any cost. We see a church that is responding to the needs of our city, pushing back against the darkness or in other New Testament language, shining light into the dark places. That is why we exist. This is why we're here. And when we, as a family here at Jesus Church, when we step into this calling, it looks like some really tangible things. We're the kind of place where we worship and we sacrifice with all of our hearts. It's the greatest commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and strength. This is what it means for us to be a worshiping family, to love our God. But the second command is like it. It's connected to it. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. We draw near because Christ is drawn near. We, we go and, and we bring people in. We create safe places, not perfectly, but we create places for our neighbors to feel love, to feel kindness, to feel hospitality, to feel generosity. We see a place of formation and journey where that great commission mandate can be lived out, going into all of the nations to make disciples of Jesus, baptizing them, teaching them how to obey. This is the call of the family of God. We see a place where we pick up that garden mandate to, to partner with Jesus in making all things new. I mean, how exciting is this? We get the opportunity to partner with our God in making something new of this world. And my friends, this world needs something new. This is the call of a Jesus church to stand up against the darkness in the name of our Lord Jesus and to say here and no further and then push forward to expand the walls of the tent, to create greater places of safety, whether that's here on a Sunday morning as we gather together, just worshiping our God, surrendering our hearts, being that place of divine encounter, or whether it's out there in our communities as we scatter as, as little communities, clusters all around our city, loving people and doing life together. This is our calling as a Jesus church. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. In the weeks ahead, we are going to talk about the leadership values that drive this family. So what does it look like for us to do this, to step into it together? And we're going to spend some time like kind of asking that question, like, okay, how do I say yes to this? And how do I say yes to this? But today... I wanted to start with this one big question. What does it look like for us to jump in to this family? I was reminded recently, I was at a, a, a missionary event and I had the privilege of doing the call at the end of the event, the call to, to kind of step in. And there's the three things, right? You guys have been to, probably some of you have been to missionary events, kind of always the same three things. Pray, give, participate. And as I was sharing this, I was like, I, I need to do this for our family. What's the call? What's the call for us together as a family to step in, pray, give, participate? I want to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. Open up your hands if you would. God calls us to step out in prayer. I want to invite you right now to ask the question, what does it mean for me to be a praying part of this family? We've got various times throughout the week where we pray together as a church, but maybe this just even looks like you setting a timer for once a day, praying for the needs of our church, praying for the needs of our city, praying for the needs around you. What does it look like for you to fight this battle in the best way possible on your knees? Second question, what does it look like for you to give? 
And yeah, we, we do give of our time and we do give of our talents, but, but in the end, everybody in a family participates. We give of our finances. And honestly, to step into God's mission, it takes resources, it takes money. What does it look like for you, for me, to participate in this vision? Giving of my resources. And third, what does it look like for you to participate? And there's so many needs around our church right now, whether it's like serving in the kids' ministry or starting a new community in your home. There's so many places to step in, but I'll tell you what, in a family, everybody participates. We all do the work, right? What does it look like for you to step into that calling to participate? to pray, to give, to participate. Lord Jesus, I pray for our church. Father, your name is holy. There's none like you. And we follow you. This is your church. We are your family. And we ask you, we, we invite you now through your spirit to teach us how to, how to lay down that version of church that looks a lot like going through the motions and to pick up the mantle of being a King Jesus family. Show us, Lord, what it looks like Fire us up to get us out there to do something different, to become your light in this dark place, to become a family providing safety and hope for those around us. Show us, Lord, we pray. We love you. This is all about you. And so Jesus, we, we lock our eyes on you and pray this prayer in your name. Amen.